I'd like to direct your attention this morning to the book of Ephesians. Turn with me there to chapter number 4. The past few Sundays I have spoken on the subject about our, our walk with the Lord. And this morning I'd like to continue that thought and I'd like you to find the verse here in Ephesians chapter number 4. I'd like to read verse number 1 and pray that God will bless you today. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. The word of the Lord says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. They I want to preach on walking worthy of our calling. In these last days, we need to be like Enoch. We need to be like he was in the days of Noah. Uh, when the Lord revealed some things to him about the judgment of God, the Bible says about Enoch, whatever you think about him, whatever you know about him, know this about him, that he had this testimony that he pleased the Lord. And when somebody stands up to speak about you at your funeral, how awesome it would be if they stood up and said, well, this one thing I know about him or her, that they pleased the Lord. Did you know that you cannot please God without faith? And we just sang about faith just a moment ago. Without faith, when it talks about Enoch in Hebrews 11, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The very next verse says you can't please God without faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Galatians, no, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4 talks about us walking by faith and not by sight or by feelings or by our senses. And faith is really just believing God's word and obeying it and submitting myself to it and trusting him to do exactly what he says he will do. I want to direct your attention here to verse number 1. Do you remember when Amos said, how can two walk together except they what? Agree. So if you're going to walk with the Lord, number one, you'll have to be saved, be his child. He's not going to walk with you if you're not going to trust his son to be sufficient to take away your sins. You must be willing to yield yourself to the righteousness that is provided through Christ Jesus in order for you to have a right relationship with God. We call it being reconciled to God. You can be reconciled to God this morning if you're not by bowing your knee and calling on the name of the Lord and He will save you and reconcile you unto Himself. What an awesome way of changing your life and direction and destiny. This morning, I want you to look in verse 1. Maybe you've read that and say, I don't know really what that means. We want to look at it in its context. You always look at a verse in its context. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul, beseech you that you walk worthy 
of the vocation wherewith you are called. What does that really mean? Well, let me, let me try to help you to, maybe I can illustrate it. You know, it's, it's really, it means having qualities of attitude and action suited to your occupation, your position, or your calling in life. Similar to what we would call sometimes codes of conduct for certain individuals, like maybe an officer of the court, the judge. You would expect him to abide by a certain code of conduct worthy of his occupation, worthy of his position. Agreed? And maybe a officer of the law, like maybe a Texas Ranger. You would expect him to abide by a different level and above the level of the average citizen of the state of Texas. He would have a code of conduct that would show himself worthy of his occupation and his calling. And, you know, I came across this uh, military code of conduct. You know, we still have these banners up about onward Christian soldier, and there's so many parallels between the Christian life and the Christian walk with God and the military or the warfare that we're facing spiritually. This is very interesting, and I think you can see the parallels. All service members receive training in the U.S. military, uh, in, in this military's code of conduct at various times uh, in their careers. The code of conduct was introduced by President Eisenhower in 1955, but it was based upon time-honored concepts and traditions dating all the way back to the American Revolution. And there are six articles, and you can look these up. You can read them in depth, but I just want to skim across the top, and you'll get the picture here about what the Lord is referring to here about what He expects out of you, and God does have some expectations of us that we might walk worthy. Our code of conduct would be worthy of our calling and our position in Christ Jesus. Article 1 says the code of conduct. In other words, he, he really, a soldier needs to remember what he is and who he is and what he represents at all times, just like a child of God. You are, if you're a child of God this morning, no matter where you are and what you're doing, you are representing your Heavenly Father. Article 1 says, I am an American. Fighting in the forces with guard, which guard my country and our way of life, I am prepared to give my life in their defense. Article 2, I will never surrender of my own free will. And I say that also to my adversary, the devil. I will never surrender the members of my command while they still have the means to resist. Article 3, if I am captured, I will continue to resist by all means available. I'll make every effort to escape and to aid others to escape. I will accept neither parole nor special favors from the enemy. Article 4. If I become a prisoner of war, I will keep faith with my fellow prisoners. I will give no information nor take part in any action which might be harmful to my comrades. If I am a senior, I will take command. If not, I will obey lawful orders of those appointed over me and will back them in every way. Code of conduct. Walking worthy. 
of your calling, your occupation, your position. Article 5. When questioned, should I become a prisoner of war, I am required to give name, rank, service number, and date of birth. I will evade answering further questions to the utmost of my ability. I will make no oral or written statements of disloyal to my country or its allies or harmful to their cause. I really like the last one. Like them all. Number six says, I will never forget that I am an American. And what I want you to understand is that you must never forget that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Article 6 says, I will never forget that I'm an American fighting for freedom, responsible for my actions, and dedicated to the principles which make my country free. I really love this last statement. It says, I will trust in my God and in the United States of America. These are the United States Military Code of Conduct. And so when you volunteer to become part of the military, they are expecting you to abide by a certain code of conduct, different than maybe a civilian would. Because you're you're called to something a little bit higher realm. Well, let's look what Paul said here. You know, when he said, you ought to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. You know, I think that uh, when he established the New Testament church, he established a couple of offices that require that the men who fill those positions are to abide by a certain code of conduct. If a man desires the office of a bishop, the Bible says that he must follow these certain guidelines or if he, if he violates those codes of conduct, he is no longer qualified to be your pastor. Amen? It's a higher, it's a higher calling. And even the office of a deacon, he has certain requirements that he's to walk by. And it even specifically mentions the behavior of his wife. That they have a different, a higher code of conduct to be examples to those who they, who are following them so that when you go to church, you're not just following somebody who has some zeal or somebody who wants to uh, proclaim. There's a lot of guys that they have the gift of gab, but they don't have the gift of the office of pastoring and preaching and expounding the word of God. Some folks like to hear their own voice. And I'm just saying to you that there is a code of conduct. You are not a rebel as a church member to require that those who hold offices in your church to abide by a certain code of conduct. So I pray that you see this, but I want you to look with me here now. In verse number one, knowing who we are and what we are is critical for us to be able to walk worthy of what you have been called to be and what God has called you to do. You know, when you see that verse, chapter 4, verse 1, when you see that word, see that word, I therefore, you know, that word therefore means something, right? It means that you need to look at what he was talking about before you got to that verse. You understand that? This is he came to a conclusion because he had said something. Did you know the book of Ephesians has the word walk in it? more than any other book, maybe except maybe the book of Psalms. 
But in the New Testament, it has the word walk in it more than any other. But before he begins to admonish you about walking worthy, he lays the foundation for you about why you should walk worthy before him. But here's the problem that we have as Baptists, our believers. Hopefully they're the same. A lot of times, I heard Adrian Rogers say this one time, and when he said it on the radio, I said, man, I'm guilty of that right there. He said, why don't you look through your Bible? If you've been saved for a while, you've read your Bible for a number of years, you've studied your Bible for a number of years, he said, why don't you look at your Bible and see where you have the most uh, finger stains on the pages? He said, probably when you get to, when you get to the book of Romans, he said, probably Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 doesn't have very many stains on it. He said, when you get to chapter 12, probably that's where most of them are. He said, when you get to the book of Ephesians, he said, probably chapter 1, 2, and 3 don't have very many stains on them. He said, but probably chapter 4, 5, and 6 probably have the most stains on them. He says, because we are more interested in what we ought to be doing before we learn some things about what we are and the power to be able to do those things. We're full of zeal, but not a lot of knowledge. So as a result, we kind of run out there, and then we get beat up, and we get kicked around, then we come back, and we kind of fold our wings, and we're afraid to try it again because of our pride. And I'm just saying to you, and these are, these are from what some other guys have said. I can't take credit for this, but I, I, I appreciate what they've said. One guy said in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 is how that God sees us in Christ. And he said chapter 4, 5, and 6 is how that the world sees Christ in us. The first three chapters are positional. The last three chapters are practical. The first three chapters are doctrinal. The last three chapters are duty. The first three chapters are about our relationship with God. The last three are about our responsibilities before God. Those are tremendous truths there about the book of Ephesians. Many of us desire to walk before we're even able to stand. I think we ought to examine the scriptures this morning and see what the book of Ephesians has to say about our walk. So let's go in order. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at where it first shows up. Ephesians chapter number 2. And verse number 1 and verse number 2. You'll find the word walk or walking mentioned twice in chapter number 2. What a great chapter is Ephesians chapter number 2. Probably after you got saved, you were taught to memorize Chapter 2, verse number 8 and verse number 9 about your salvation. But let's look at this, about it being by grace. Look in chapter 2. Look with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, And you, talking about those who've been saved, hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were dead, that means separated from the Lord, in trespasses and sins. Where in time past, what's the next phrase? You what? You walked. You walked according to the course of this world. And this world is anti-God and anti-Christ, full of religion and self-righteousness. He said, that's the way you used to walk. 
He said, according to the prince and power of the air. You said, oh, Brother Rogers, no way, man. Look, the devil is the most religious creature there is who doesn't have a relationship with God, that is. He is, a, he is of a religious nature. You'll find him more active on Sunday morning than you will on Friday and Saturday nights in a bar somewhere. You'll find him today working in places where there are religious gatherings. He is a very deceitful and religious creature. So the Lord says that you walk according to these things, all right? But he says, he said, that same spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience. He said, that's what you were in times past. You know, you used to walk according to the lust of your flesh. Do you remember those days? Don't spend very much time reflecting too much in the past. But every once in a while, glance back and say, boy, I sure do thank you, Lord for forgiving me of my transgressions and my sins. Thank you so much. And he says, Our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And he said, And we're by nature, by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's where I was. I didn't even realize the danger that I was in when I was 14 years old, 16 years old, 18 years old had no idea that the judgment of God was just a breath away from me if I were to perish in that condition. I didn't realize that I was just doing what I felt was natural, and I was walking what I considered to be just the normal, natural, country boy life. Had no idea that I was underneath the wrath of God and that it could fall upon me at any moment, and I would justly, justly, be judged. And yet God in His mercy and His goodness providentially brought me underneath the sound of the preaching of the Word of God and the light began to shine. And this is where the God, look in verse number 4. It says, But God, but God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, talking about separated from God in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Don't let that confuse you. That is just where God places you and puts you in Christ after you're born again. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, you see, God looks long term. We look day to day. God looks long term. In the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And so I'm talking about maybe about, maybe about a million and a half years from now, the Lord will say, hey, you see Roger Hoots right there? That boy right there was dead in trespasses and sins, and I redeemed him through the death of my son. And the only reason he's here is because of my grace and my love toward him in that while he was yet a sinner, my son died for him. Look what he says in verse 8. For by grace are you saved. Aren't you glad salvation is by grace? Grace is something that you had no works to. It is, it's just grace, something you don't deserve. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man 
any man should boast. It was either the mayor or the governor of New York came out about a year ago and made the statement that, and I've got the quote somewhere, I'm just going to paraphrase it. He made the statement that if anybody was going to make it to heaven based upon the goodness and the great things that they have done, he said it would be him. And I thought to myself, you are a blind sinner. You have no idea of what God demands in order to make it into heaven. It is an insult to God for you to approach Him in any of your works, your goodness, things that you have done. Otherwise, Jesus Christ would have died upon that cruel tree without a purpose if you could make it without Him. Amen? Now look what He says. There'll be no boasting in heaven, only praise. Verse 10, He said, now look at this now, for we are His workmanship created... In Christ Jesus, unto what? Unto good works. Good works don't come before you're a child of God. You don't do good works to become a child of God. Because you are a child of God, you want to do good works. He said that's one of the reasons why God saved you. That's why He gifted you. That's why He changed you. And now you're to walk worthy of this calling. Look what he says. For we are his workmanship. What does that mean? That means that I'm different than you. God made me the way I am and gifted me the way I am. And you are different. We're different parts. We've been made different. We all have something to give and to add and to be a blessing to each other. Now watch what he says. We are his workmanship. So don't don't brag on yourself when you do something good. You thank God that God enabled you to be able to do it. Gave you the grace to do it. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now that's important, okay? Uh, because Titus said that there'd be many in the last days that who would profess to know God. He said, but in every good work, they would be reprobate. Now that's people who profess Christ, but there is no change in their life. And there's no interest in serving the Lord. They've just changed the name while they've remained the same. They've just become a, a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a something in order to have religion, but they've not had a heart change. All right, look in verse number 17. He says, you got to remember, excuse me, verse 10. He said, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which God hath before ordained or appointed that we should what? Walk in them. In what? In good works. You, if you're going to please the Lord and you're going to walk worthy of His vocation, then your walk entails some good works. And you're walking. In other words, you're looking for opportunities to be a blessing and a help and a part of the solution and not part of the problem of a local assembly. All right, now look with me, if you would, in chapter number 4 again. You'll find that he now gets to this part uh, after he tells them about what uh, we have been saved by grace, and I have been. Have you? I've been saved by grace through faith. 
That not of myself. It is the gift of God. But you have to receive a gift. Do you not? The Bible says the wages of sin is... Okay, wages are something you have earned. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But a gift is of no value to you unless you receive it. Ephesians 4, look at this again now. He said, I therefore the prince of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. All right, now it's important. Again, that word therefore, for what reason? Consequently, he has just prayed for you and he has just prayed for me before he made that statement. Now, before he sends you out to walk worthy, and I think that it would be true. We have Brother Dwayne here who is a, a Marine. I think before they would send him out to any kind of military duty, that they, they, remind, they, they prepared him before they sent him out. I think sometimes they call that boot camp and other things to train and prepare them before they go out and to assure them that they would have what they would need at any time to be able to resist the enemy. I don't think that you had to get a part-time job and then to pay for your rifle. I don't think you had to get a part-time job to pay for your uniform. I think they provided certain things. And wouldn't it be something if you had to earn the money to buy your jet in order for you to fly? That would take a lifetime, wouldn't it? So they prepare it. So what he is doing right here in this message and these thoughts that I'm trying to give you are probably some of the most frustrating and difficult for a pastor to get across to his church family because it, it causes you to focus upon your position before you start doing something. And the average Baptist... It's not interested in knowing their position. They just want to know what can I do to be a blessing around the church. Well, it would the reason why sometimes we want you to sit down and listen for just a moment is because when you start doing things around the church, before you know it, somebody has done hurt your feelings. And somebody has already said something about you or somebody that you care about. And then all of a sudden you're... You're up in arms, I don't mean that literally, but you are ready to quit because you're not prepared for the battle. Because when you start dealing with people, you start dealing with different opinions and ideas and people on different levels of spiritual growth. Some don't know how to appropriately, when to be quiet and how to leave people alone and mind their own business and how to appreciate some of the things that you do. And if you are not prepared for those things, and if you're not serving for the right reason, you're just going to wash out. That's what's going to happen. And then you're going to blame others for where you are. And you're going to be bitter for where you are because you wouldn't sit still long enough to appropriate some things by faith. Now watch this. This this requires some faith. But you got to get this. Why some people can make it and others don't is because some folks sit still long enough to listen to what Christ has done for them. And it elevates Him in their heart and mind. And they truly do love Him. And they trust Him. And they depend upon Him for daily grace in dealing 
with brothers and sisters in Christ. Now watch. Look in Ephesians 4. Now let's, let's back up just a moment. Look at his prayer. Look with me, please. And verse number 14. Look what he says. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This is his apostolic prayer because you see, your behavior represents a family. Everything that you do reflects upon your parents or somebody, husband, wife, son or daughter, everything. You're not an island. He says this. He says of the whole, the whole family. Thank God I belong part of that family. Verse 16. And this is his prayer. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now look at this. And I know sometimes when you read this that you kind of get lost in it and you don't really understand exactly what he might be trying to tell you, but let's read it and let me try to explain it to you. That's my responsibility. He says in verse number 16, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's one thing he's praying for. Number two, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Why? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And here's the motive. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And I can see him turning around and saying, Amen! Right there at the last draft. That's what he said. He just did it with his pen. Amen! Now look at this. Look at verse 16. Now before he tells us to go out there and walk worthy of our calling, before he gives us our code of conduct, verse number 16 says, Listen. You're going to need some strength. And that strength for you this morning is going to come from the Holy Spirit. The race is too long. The battles are too difficult. The rivers are too swift. The valleys are too deep. The mountains are too high. You're going to need some strength. And it comes in the inner man through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who has been sent to dwell inside of you. And He prays for you that you would be strengthened with His might. By His might. He's saying, hey, I'm not asking you or sending you on a journey that you cannot go into victoriously. I'm going to provide for you some strength as long as you don't rely on your own. As long as you don't try to do this in the flesh. As long as you don't try to follow 12 rules of how to do this or do that. I want you to humble yourself and listen to the Holy Ghost as He speaks to your heart. Alright, then notice the second thing there is. You're going to need some confidence and some comfort along the way. He says in verse 18, verse 17 and 18, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you are rooted and grounded in love. And he's talking about your 
communion and fellowship and confidence in your relationship with Christ. Did you know Romans 8 says that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ? And he begins to talk about, hey, once you become a child of God, and this is hard for me to comprehend, because we are used to dealing with people based on how they treat us, or we kind of look at ourselves based upon our successes and failures as Christians, that God, number one, God loved you before He saved you. God loved you while you were yet a sinner. How much more does He love you now that you're His child? But when I do wrong, I feel like that maybe He don't love me as much. Did you know that's a fault to it? When my son does wrong, I don't love him less. They may grieve me, but I don't love him less. I don't love him less. And because of when he was a child, especially growing up when he was younger, I chastened him when I needed to because I did love him, but I never kicked him out of the house and said, you're not my son anymore. You understand? And so I'm saying, I don't understand sometimes how much he really does love me. The Bible says it passes knowledge. He said, I want you to know it. That means experience it. I want you to truly, truly be able to comprehend. Because listen, he said, listen, I'm fixing to throw you into a vast ocean of love. He said, and, and really more than an ocean, even outer space. He says, as high as you can go, as deep as you can go, as far as you can go that way, as far as you can go that way. In every dimension you want to go, you are wrapped up in the fact that Christ loves you. And though you may have disappointed yourself this week, and you might have even grieved Him in some area, you have not diminished how much that He truly loves you. You're going to need that comfort and that confidence as you begin to walk with Him and for Him. And then he mentions here, you notice he says in verse number 20, he says, look, I'm going to give you some resources. He loves me beyond my me- beyond measure and my mental comprehension. But look at verse 20. He gives me the resources. He is able to do more than I can ask for. Verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able, so as he sends me out on this journey to walk worthy of him, He said, listen, you're going to run into some situations where you're going to need to pray about some things. And he says, I'm able to answer those prayers. As a matter of fact, if you'll pray and ask according to my will, I'm able to do far beyond what you even asked me to do. Now, that's a resource. I think if I was a soldier in a hot zone in Vietnam... And I'm picking up, if I've got one of those, one of those combat phones that they, that one of the, they used back in the day, you know, that if I'm under fire, I'd like to have complete confidence that that guy on the other end not, not only cares, but that he has the capability of sending me backups and helping me uh, get out of this situation that I'm in. And he might even send more than I even ask for to get me out of this situation. Now, God is saying to you, before I send you out there to walk with me and walk worthy of this vocation, I am going to let you know that you are weak and you need the Holy Ghost to be able to live this life. You're going to need the Spirit of God. You're going to need to walk with Him and you're going to need to listen to Him and you're going to need to depend upon Him and I need you to trust Him and listen to Him. Be led by Him. This is not religious terminology that's for the super saint. 
This is for the plumber. This is for the physician. This is for the welder. This is for the engineer. This is for every single one of us, the housewife, the teenager. I'm telling you, to know that somebody loves you beyond measure, to know that there's no way you're going to fall out of God's hand, to know to know that there is nothing that can separate you from this love. It can motivate you. It can encourage you and strengthen you. And then you can talk to God when things are falling apart and you need some resources. He says, listen, ask me. A-S-K. Ask and seek and knock. Look what he says here. He says, look, look, look with me here in verse number 20. Now unto him that is able. Man, I'll tell you what, I got a message that I preach sometimes at missions conferences. Is your God able? And I think about those three Hebrews. When they were thrown in the fire, before they got thrown in the fire furnace, and the king was mad at them, and he was cussing them, and he was saying, I'm fishing, I'll throw you in there and burn you up. You don't bow down. And they said, listen, we just want you to know, king, we've thought about this, and we're not going to bow our knee. But we do want you to know our God is able to deliver us from this fire furnace. But if he chooses not to, we want you to know we're not bowing. And God showed that he was able. And God did deliver them. He did not remove them from those circumstances. He delivered them in those circumstances. And God sometimes puts you in a vice. And sometimes God puts you in a fire. Sometimes he does those things. And you're praying, God, please take all this stuff away. And God says, no. I want to show you that I am able to help you through the things that you're going through in this life. Some of you want to see and taste more of God, but you don't want to ever really need Him. (laughs) Sometimes you're just going to really need God. Now look what he says. Verse 20, Now to him that is able, I serve a God that's able. When I call upon Him to save me, He was able to do it. Saved me, forgave me, wrote my name down in the book of life. Able to keep me. Paul said, he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Is your God able to keep you? Look what he said. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And then look at the purpose of all this. Verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. God has has designed the church in these last days to glorify His Son, Jesus Christ. And you need to be a part of that church. Well, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You've got a higher calling than a Texas Ranger. You've got a higher calling than an officer of the Air Force or the Marines or even of the Supreme Court or of the President of the United States. You have a calling and a position. You represent the Lord everywhere you go. Every business transaction, every conversation, every text you send out, every photo that you want the whole world to see. 
the way you carry yourself, the way you handle your family, the way you handle your finances. You see, God called you to walk contrary to the dark. You'll notice in chapter 4, look what he says right here in verse 17. He said, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. You can see that through books, movies, shows like American Idol. People are full of vanity. Jesus said the reason why some of you Jews will not follow me is because you love the praises of men more than you love the praises of God. You better quit worrying about the opinion of man and be concerned more about what God thinks. Look at verse 18. You see, the, the world, their understanding is darkened. They are mentally darkened and they are morally depraved. You, however, are to walk with mental enlightenment and morality that is higher than the world's. He says they are against what we talked about last Sunday. Again, he mentions it in verse 19. He said their past feeling, he said they have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. They are invading our public schools. They are indoctrinating our kindergartners, our adolescents, our teenagers with their perverted lifestyles and they're calling evil good and good evil. They're taking kids in schools in parts of this country to uh, gay bars and to, to, to introduce them to drag queens and things of that nature because they are past feeling. They don't care what you think or say. They hate you because you're light. And God says you just keep walking worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. All right, I need to close this up. I have a, I want a lot more I wanted to say to you, but let me wrap this up in verse number two, please. Look with me in verse number two. Would you see this right here? Again, it's how and why and what to do. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Do you know who that's like in verse number two? Do you know who that's like? It's like Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. Did you know when Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, he was writing to them about those strongholds in their mind. He approached them with this statement. He said, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That does not mean to be effeminate ought to be soft. Meekness really is power and strength in constraint. That I may feel like just beating the devil out of you, but instead I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to restrain myself from what I'm feeling and I'm going to say what the Lord would have me to say concerning truth to you. Don't mistake Meekness for weakness. When you see some of these men humbling themselves here and following the Lord and trying to do what's right, don't you mistake that for weakness. Don't mistake that for weakness. They are submitting themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ 
and walking in the Spirit. They want to be like the Savior. And by the way, if you speak the truth and you speak the truth with grace, people who want to know the truth will embrace it. People who hate the truth are going to hate you anyway, no matter how you say it. And he says in verse number 2, with all lowliness and meekness, that lowliness, don't be high-minded, don't be haughty, don't be boastful, don't be proud, don't be expecting things, don't, don't come here to take, come here to give. Don't come to serve, excuse me, to be served, come to serve, to be a blessing. You folks that went up to, uh, to the camp, uh, to, to the youth camp. Where's it at? Southland. You went up there with the attitude of what can we do to be a blessing? Some of our men have gone there to work and ladies to help them. And they went there with the attitude of what can I do to be a blessing? Jesus went about doing good. He was harmless. One of the codes of conduct of a physician is do no harm. Amen? But boy, they're sure doing some harm today. Look what he says now. Look quickly with me and I'm done. It says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now you see, that's why he told you, I'm praying for you, that you would express Christ to others and especially to each other. Because you are going to need that when you start working with each other, and he's talking about inside the assembly here, chapter 4, you're going to participate in the church body. He says, and look in verse 3, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, I will remind you again, that does not say Spirit of unity. It says unity of the capital S, Spirit. That you stay in walk in lockstep with the Spirit of God. Because as you walk with Him, everybody's not going to always agree with you. But if we walk in the Spirit and we don't grieve Him and we don't quench Him, there will be a Spirit of unity. We will be in one accord. But if you walk contrary to the things of God, hey, if, 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 if Enoch was walking with God, you can rest assured that crowd that was going the other direction they did not really appreciate him. And if they got too close to him, there'd be a little friction. And if you're trying to walk with the Lord and you've got people in your life that are trying to walk contrary to that, there will be some conflict and there will be some confrontation. But your goal and my goal is to promote the unity of the Spirit that we would be one in mind and heart with the Holy Ghost. He is the most important person in this room that we would abide by Him and listen to Him and follow Him. Wouldn't it be a blessing if folks could come through here and leave and say, man, that's a Spirit-filled church. You know, I've always wondered why people, uh, sometimes when I go to the mall, and that's about twice a year, and that's only because I have to, not because I want to, and that's only because Academy's not over at the mall. I'll sometimes uh, on some of those layers of those floors, there'll be a big old picture of a, of a man and woman, you know, they got that glamour shot, those pearly white teeth, all the perfect makeup and the hair, and they say, hey, come and enjoy the next, this certain date of a spirit-filled service. And I say that they don't know that. 
They may want that, but they don't know that. You and I have to work at maintaining our walk with God that the Spirit of God be not grieved nor quenched here. He's the most important one. So let me walk worthy of the conduct we're with. And we'll talk about what that conduct is another time. But I pray that you would believe that you are truly somebody in the eyes of God. You won't be in the eyes of the world, but you will be in the eyes of God. Has a parent ever come up to you with their first child and said, isn't this a beautiful baby? And you look at it and say, hmm. It's a baby. That's, that's, that's quite a baby. But in the eyes of that mother and father, oh, man. You know, you might even say, yeah, it looks just like his daddy. <laughs> There's ways around that, you know. But mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, they look at that and say, man, that is just absolutely fantastic, beautiful. I cannot, I cannot even begin to tell you how much that God the Father loves you and I in Christ Jesus. I wish I could explain it. I wish I could verbalize it. I wish I could, could quote, orate it well enough for you to believe it. But somehow or another, the Spirit of God has to communicate that to us. And we have to embrace it by faith. And it would motivate you to realize you know, if I was a Texas Ranger, I'd be conscious of that. I'd be proud to be one. I would. I'd, I'd be proud to, to be able to pass that test and be a Texas Ranger. That'd be awesome to be a part of that group. That's a select group. And if I saw one, I'd honor him, but I would also would expect a little bit more out of him and his behavior. I'd be greatly disappointed to see somebody slip some money to him and he take it and let them go of a crime. I'd be, I'd be horribly disappointed. He's not walking worthy of his position. You and I must understand we are representing the God of heaven. Let's behave ourselves as his sons and daughters. And not like those in the nursery. You understand? Let's bow our heads. Father... Let's stand together and let's bow our heads in prayer. If you're here this morning and the Lord has spoke to your heart about anything, maybe about your walk with God, maybe you've questioned His love for you, maybe you're here this morning and you just need to be saved, why don't you come this morning and bow your knee by faith and call on Him to forgive you, to cleanse you, and to wash you in His precious blood. And Maybe you just need to come and drop close to Him and say, God, I have not walked worthy of what you've done for me. I ask you to forgive me and help me to behave myself with a code of conduct that would be worthy of what you've done for me. Our Father, in Jesus' name, may your will be done in the invitation. And regardless of the public response, I pray that our people would take the truth home with them, believe it, embrace it, and be doers of it. And I ask it for Christ's sake that we could glorify you here in Jesus' name.